0: After hundreds of years of searching, the perfect pastor has been found. He is the preacher who will please everyone, and here is his description. He preaches exactly 12 minutes and then sets down. He condemns sin but never steps on anyone's toes. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight, and he's also the church janitor. The perfect pastor makes $400 a week, wears great clothes, drives a great car, buys great books, and donates $300 every week to the church. He's 36 years old and has been preaching for 40 years. He's tall on the short side, heavy set in a thin sort of way, and very handsome. His eyes are of blue and brown to fit the occasion. He wears his hair parted in the middle. The left side is dark and straight. The right side is brown and wavy. He has a burning desire to work with the youth and spends all of his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time while keeping a straight face because he has a keen sense of humor that finds him seriously dedicated. He makes 15 calls a day on church members and spends all of his time evangelizing the lost and is never out of the office while spending time with his family. Unfortunately, he burned himself out and died at the age of 32. And if you haven't figured out yet, that perfect pastor is not me. I've said this before and I really believe it. Great pastors are few and far between. On the flip side, great churches are few and far between. Practically every ministry has one problem area that looms paramount, and that often has to do with expectations. The problem lies with the pastor as well as with his parishioners. Because both begin their relationship with unrealistic expectations. The pastor expects a church with the commitment of the apostles. And the church, in turn, expects a pastor who can walk on water. As a result, both are generally disappointed. (laughs) And so it is in the life of a church. This morning, I want to speak to you about your favorite preacher. And today, honestly, I just want to talk to you not only from the Word of God, but also from my heart. You know that we're following the book, I Am a Church Member by Tom Rainer. If you haven't picked up your free copy, one per family, you can get yours in the Welcome Center today. We're actually supposed to be on chapter 3 today, but, uh, but when I found out what today was going to be, I went ahead to chapter 4, all right? Uh, so if you haven't read chapter 4, I'll give you a little taste of it, and you can go home and read the chapter. Chapter 4 is entitled, I Will Pray for My Church Leaders. And specifically, what Rainer talks about is praying for your pastor or the pastors who are on your church staff And so I'm going to take this opportunity to share with you uh, a brief sermon from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and then some personal thoughts uh, from me, your pastor, okay? Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, uh, Paul picks up where we left off last week when we were looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this is what he says in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For you are still carnal... For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal in behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase." So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. Heavenly Father, I pray a blessing on the reading and now the sharing of your word. Bless it, Lord, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul was speaking to some immature carnal church members at Corinth. And apparently they were suffering from a long-standing church disease known as preacheritis. They had their favorite preacher... And each one in the church felt like their preacher was the man. They loved their preacher so much, they felt like he was the fourth member of the Holy Trinity because they worshipped their preacher. Now, some of us have preachers that we really love. Uh, maybe you've had a pastor in the past. Maybe it was the pastor who led you to Christ or baptized you or married you and your spouse. And, and you really love that pastor. There is a special place in your heart and in your life for that man of God. Others of us in this room may have been hurt or greatly disappointed or deeply injured by something a pastor did. In the first 23 years of my life, I had 12 pastors. We lived in three different towns, Midland, Abilene, and Lubbock. And, of course, uh, multiple pastors in each one of those towns. Uh, Then I went to Hillsdale, and I had a pastor in Oklahoma City. And then I went to Enid as a youth pastor, and I worked for my pastor, Buddy Drake. Of those 12 pastors, I remember 10 of them. A couple of them, I was just too young because the first week I was out of my mother's womb, I was in church. So a couple of those uh, pastors I, I don't remember. But 10 of them I do. And seven of the 10 had a very significant impact on my life. All of them had different gifts and abilities, strengths and weaknesses. But as I look back on these men of God, here's what I can say about all of those seven who did have a significant impact on my life they were faithful. God had called them, and they were faithful. They were more than just my pastor. These seven men became role models in my life. The point of this section of 1 Corinthians is simply this. We are not to think too highly of our favorite preachers or be harshly critical of those who are not our favorite preachers. Preachers are men who have been called by God for the task of ministering to the church and to the body of Jesus Christ. And in this passage, Paul says that preachers have some things in common. For example, number one, a preacher that is called by God is going to have a servant's heart. Verse five, then who is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers or servants through whom you believed? The word for minister there means a common worker. It was used to describe people who waited tables, busboys, and table waiters. You know, that is so foreign to our way of looking at things. We measure a man's value today by how many people serve him. But that's not the way God looks at it. God measures the value of a man or a woman by how many people they serve through His grace and His love and His gifts. That's the way we are to view ourselves in ministry. We serve. We set the table for others to be fed by God and led by God. You see, as as pastors and preachers and ministers, we are not the source of salvation for other people we are rather the servants that share the good news of salvation ministry is an undeserved gift from God's hand we receive it with great humility I have done absolutely nothing in my life to earn the position that God has called me to but rather I've been given this gift I've received the call And I have been entrusted with God's grace to share the good news with God's people. Let me say it like this. Ministry, preaching, pastoring is not about us. It's not about me. It's about God. A couple of weeks ago, professional golfers played the the President's Cup. It's a big event. Came down to uh, Sunday's play and... And it just so happened that Tiger Woods won the golf tournament for the Americans with his play. Now, a- after the event was over, you know, Tiger was the big hero. But you know what? The announcers did not interview Tiger's golf clubs. They interviewed Tiger Woods. This afternoon at 3.05, the 5-0 and Denver Broncos are going to play the 0-5 Jacksonville Jaguars. I am predicting that Peyton Manning is going to have a good day. He may throw for 600 yards. I don't know. He may throw for six touchdowns. But at the end of the day, if Peyton has a great day, do you think the announcers are going to interview the football that Peyton threw? No. They're going to interview him. Have a proper understanding and perspective on who we are as your pastors. I'm like those golf clubs. I'm like that football. Myself and the other men on this staff are simply the tools that God uses to dish out His grace. It's not about us. It's about Him. The second thing that we learn about Preachers, is that each one has a personal assignment. Verse 5, he says, What after all is Paul? And what is Apollos? They're only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Are preachers different? Let me help you. You're afraid to answer. Yes. We're all different. You know why? Well, it's because the Lord has assigned each one to his own task. In the next verse, Paul talks about how he had been the one who had planted the seed by preaching the gospel to them. And then Apollos, a very powerful preacher, came along and he watered that seed. Paul and Apollos had different assignments. But one was not better than the other. They were both needful. They were both necessary. And so it is in a local congregation. I'm not here to compete with any former pastor. This church has been graced to have great men of God. I am not like any of them. But God has called me to this church for this day and for this time. And alongside of that God has called the men on this staff to work in this church at this time and each one of them has a personal assignment from God. And I'm so thankful for that. I look at the guys on our staff and I'm I'm so thankful they are not just like me. God help us all if they were. We are so different. We look at ministry from a totally different perspective. And there are some of the people on this staff that you really love and you really appreciate. There are others of us (laughs) that maybe you don't connect with. But isn't it great to have all of us who are here? I think there's a larger application to this, not only than just to the staff of the church or the preacher. Because all all of you as believers have an assignment in the body of Christ that God has given you to do. God has something for you to do in this church. And if you don't do it, we all suffer. But when you do your assignment, we're all blessed. The third thing that you need to understand about preachers is they can't do it on their own. We all have our Lord's assistance. Verses 6 and 7, Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but it's God. This is, it is God who gives the increase. In other words, we can do nothing of eternal significance without the assistance of God. We can do our work and we work hard, but God must do His work if it's really going to be blessed. So when we are blessed, we glorify God because He is ultimately making the Word grow in our lives. It's because God opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing that this is such a great place as it is. We're blessed by God. It's because of Him. Now, that's not to say that we are not to appreciate the people that God uses to dish out His blessings. Because I think we are. However, in a lot of churches that I've been in in my life or i observed, people go to extremes. We're, We're like that. We go to extremes on things. And there are some people in some churches that that do. they have preacheritis. They worship the preacher. Instead of worshiping God, they worship the preacher. On the flip side of that, there are some churches that, that treat their preacher like dirt. You're nothing, they think. What Paul is saying in this verse is that The blessings come from God. God is the one who gives the increase. God is the one to be praised and glorified. But God chooses people to dish out those blessings. And specifically, he's talking about the preacher. It wouldn't be accurate to say that a farmer is nothing because a farmer is important. He does important work. The farmer pulls the ground, he plants the seed, he waters the earth, he does his work. But then that farmer is dependent upon God for God to do his work under the soil and in the ground. And the same thing is true in ministry. Listen to what Paul said in First Thessalonians chapter 5. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Respect the pastor. Get along with each other. Be at peace and do the work of the ministry. He also said this in in Hebrews chapter 13, the writer did. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Well, that's a sermon in and of itself. You see, I'm going to be held responsible for before God in what I do in this church and how I minister the grace of God through this church. I am, in a sense, responsible for your spiritual well being when I stand before the Lord. And God is saying, respect the preacher in that. But y'all get along with each other. Let him do that with joy and not with grief. Come on, people. (laughs) Let let me do it with joy, not with grief. Why? Because you know what? It will be unprofitable for you. Now, let me tell you something. I I didn't say this in first service because I think the Lord just given it to me right now. There will be some church people that will stand before God and be held accountable before God for the grief and the misery that they cause their church and their pastor. Well, I feel better having said that. A lot, of, a lot of the preaching that I do here is preventive preaching or I'm just going on an old bad memory, <laughs> okay? Because I tell you what, I am so thankful to serve in a church where we get along with each other. And it's been that way for years. Number four every preacher has a common purpose. Verse eight. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Okay? He was talking about him and Apollos. I planted, Apollos watered, but you know what? We're one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. All the ministers and all the ministries in the church and for the church have a single purpose. It's God's purpose. And to see God's purposes fulfilled is our highest and greatest ambition. And what is God's purpose? He tells us in verse 9, he says, for we are God's fellow workers. Again, he's talking about the other preachers. He's talking about himself and Apollos. I'm, I'm saying that about myself, and the other staff members. We are God's fellow workers. And you, you church, you guys are God's field. You, the church, are God's building. And so the one purpose that we as a staff have, the one common purpose for Will and Angie and Jason and Johnny and Ray and Dave and Dean and all others who serve this church, that one purpose is tending God's field which is you, and building God's building, which is the kingdom of God. God has given each one of us a different gift, a different ability, a different niche in ministry. But collectively, our common purpose is to build the kingdom of God. And then very quickly, number five, he talks about the preacher's reward. Verse eight, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, notice with me that the rewards that preachers receive are not according to results, but according to their labor. Each one receives his own reward according to his own labor. In other words, he's saying, you're going to be rewarded... By your faithfulness. It's not like at the end of the year, God is going to give the the salesman or the preacher of the year award to the preacher who has the most notches in the back of his Bible. (laughs) No, that's what we do. Because really what we're concerned about are results, aren't we? Let's admit it. In in preacher lingo, we talk about nickels and noses. Nickels and noses. How much was the offering, and how many people did we have? You judge the success of a man's ministry by the size of the congregation, or the number of converts, or the number of baptisms. And I will agree that a, a healthy church is a church that is growing. That is seeing people saved. They are having people called into the ministry. I agree with that, but you know what? Sometimes that's just not the case. While we look at results, God is looking at our faithfulness. Are we faithfully doing day in and day out, week after week, what He has called us to? I did kind of go into this a little bit in the first service, and I think I'll share it with you, too. Um, Maybe this this is more therapy for me than it is for you. (laughs) Because on Sunday afternoons, I go home and I just beat myself up. In fact, I already did it between services. I shouldn't have said that, I'll think, to myself, or maybe I should have said that, or maybe if I'd have done this differently, and, oh, i probably upset those people, and, man, I wonder if they're going to come back. It's not right for me to do that, but I, it's just, I do it. And I want to see results. I want to see people walk the aisle and give their heart to Jesus. I want to see our church grow. But God is saying to me through this passage, William, that's not your job. Your job is to grind those sermons out every week. Your job, whether you feel like it or not, is to stand in front of those people and feed them the Word of God. Your your job is to be faithful to do exactly what I tell you to do. My job is to give the increase. You know what, I think there is an application in this to all of us, whether we're preachers or not. Because all of us have a work to do. What is your labor? What is your work? What has God called you to do? Are you doing it faithfully? I think that is one of the most important things that happens in a person's life. Define exactly what it is that God has called you to do in His kingdom. And then you just simply do it for the glory of God, not for the praise of men, not for the accolades that come along with it, but simply because you love God and you want to be faithful to Him. That's Paul's description of a preacher. And I guess you could say that's my sermon. Strange as it may be, but here's my heart. It is my prayer that in our church, God would call people into his service. That we would hear his call and that we would respond by saying, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Generally speaking, that's my prayer for each one of you. But specifically, it's my prayer in my heart that God would call some young men and some boys in our church to answer his call into the preaching ministry. I mentioned those Seven pastors who had a very significant impact on my life. They were my heroes. Now, when I was a kid growing up, uh, I I never had a youth pastor. I never had a children's pastor. Uh, Generally speaking, the churches that I went to were too small for that. In fact, in many churches, there were only two people in the youth group, my sister and myself. We had conflict in our youth group. I didn't have the luxury of having a specific pastor (laughs) for children or for youth. I just had a preacher. He just did it all. And I respected them. Honestly, I would say of those seven, at least five of them were my heroes. Now, let me be specific about this so you don't misunderstand I'm not doing what I do today because one of those men suggested that I do this. I'm not a preacher today because one of my pastors said, "Hey, Will, I think you would be a good preacher. Why Why don't you preach?" I'm a preacher today because God called me to be a preacher. But these guys were role models for me. No, they weren't perfect. They showed me the way. They they gave me a hope and an aspiration to fulfill the calling that God had put in my heart. My parents are not here today. My brother-in-law, Tommy, had open-heart surgery in Houston, Texas, and so mom and dad are there with Shrita and Tommy. But I'm so thankful I had the parents that I had. God knew what he was doing. All the years growing up, all the churches we went to, all the different preachers that I had. I cannot remember a single time when we went home for lunch on Sunday afternoon and ate fried preacher. I hope you don't even know what I'm talking about. But it's going to happen all over this city today. People are gonna go to Western Sizzlin', Furs Cafeteria. I guess the yuppies that go to Outback, they'll do it too. People are gonna complain and gripe and badmouth the preacher. It just happens. I don't remember my mom and dad doing that. If they did it, they sure didn't do it in front of my sister and I. Why am I saying that? Well, for a couple of reasons. I I want you to know how it impacts a, a young man who does feel the call of God in his life and does respect his preacher and has the respect at home from his parents of his preacher. I've told this story before. I I pastored a a lady in a former church a long time ago. She gave me fits. I mean, this lady gave me fits. She griped and complained about everything. She had some kids, and one day I just had it up to here with her, and I said, you know what? You know what I'm going to start doing? I'm going to start praying that God is going to call one of your boys into ministry, and he's going to be a preacher, and he's going to have to put up with people just like you. Now, usually I tell you stories like this and tell you I didn't really say that. I just thought it. I said it to that lady. (laughs) Hmm? I sure hope my parents aren't bad-mouthing their pastor now. (laughs) Would you join me? and praying that God would call some young men from this church. According to Tom Rainer in chapter 4 of his book, the greatest thing you can do for your preacher, the greatest thing you can do for him, is pray. I'm about to stop. I've gone my 12 minutes, I know, but if you haven't read it yet, here's his suggestions. You pray for your pastor as he preaches. I don't, know if, I don't know if any of you do that. But I can tell you this. Every day, if you would pray for your pastor's preaching, your pastor would preach better. Rainer says, pray for him and his family. Few families face the kinds of pressures and expectations that a pastor's family faces. It's been said that we live in glass houses. It's probably worse than that. Congregations put unreal expectations on the wife and the children of the pastor. They hold them to a different level of accountability. I really don't know how it is for a preacher's kid because I'm not one. Can I just say to Kavanaugh Church, thank you? Thank you for not doing that with our kids. He suggests that you pray for your pastor's physical and mental health. Physically that he would be well and that mentally God would give him wisdom to make decisions. Here's what I found after I turned fifty. I'm fifty two now. I'm falling apart. Both my body and my brain. I am serious when I ask you to pray for me. He also suggests that you pray for his protection. He references 1 Timothy 3.7 that talks about the pastor falling into the devil's trap. Did you know the devil did that? Every day he sets traps, really for all of us, but specifically... Paul says that the devil sets traps for pastors. The devil has devised a plan to bring the pastor down. Every day the devil sets traps for the men of God. The devil sees the pastor as a threat. And one of his highest priorities is to take him down and to take him out. Therefore... I don't guess we should be surprised when we hear about preachers who fall out of God's grace. Because the devil is after the preacher. Back in my naive years, I really thought the longer I did this, the easier it would become. How wrong I was. And if you could do anything, if you would do anything, for the people on this church staff and for me, it would be to pray.